This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3258 for Wednesday the 27th of January 2021. Today's show is entitled, Linux in Law S01E22. The Linux Professional Institute and is part of the series, Linux in Law, it is hosted by Monochrome, and is about 69 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, the chap's host Evan Leibovich from the LPI. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. Unfortunately, some of the audio of this episode has been subjected to Murphy's and Finnegal's laws. Watch out for the sponsor message at the end of the show, and is thus not of the quality you've come to love and expect from the in-laws. We would like to apologize for this, and would appreciate if you could refer any resulting disappointment, anger and rage at complaints at murphyandfinnegal.com. Welcome to Linux In-Laws, a podcast on open source software and related topics. Tonight we have a very special guest. It's Evan Leibovich from the Linux um, Professional Institute. Evan, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> okay. Um, hello, everybody. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with the In-Laws. Uh, mine is Evan Leibovich. I'm based in Toronto, Canada, and uh, I have been involved with a lot of Nonfits uh, with a lot of community organizations, uh, uh, including helping to f- uh, be one of the founders of I. I've also been heavily involved with Linux user groups, both within Canada, 
in Miami, Toronto, and elsewhere. Uh, I've also been involved in a number of inventives uh, to try and make uh, the internet better for uh, for end users. I've been involved with ICANN, and I spent two years with the UN Refugee Agency trying to bring uh, computer access to refugees. So I've 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 been doing an awful lot. Uh, right now, I'm 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 back at LPI, the organization that I helped found back in 1999, and uh, I'm I'm happy to be here and talk to you about anything with that. Perfect. Um, why don't uh, why, why don't we get started with a little bit of history about the LPI? Why came it into existence, and why it is so important for the open source industry? That is, of course. Ab- ab- absolutely. Uh, again, we're going back to the, the late 90s, and open source was just starting to break through. Uh, it, it still had significant opposition from Microsoft and closed source organizations, and it was struggling at that point to make, uh, to make inroads into uh, corporate IT. Uh, it was obviously heavily uh, used by the enthusiast community, but it was trying to make that uh, trying to make that leap from being considered a hobbyist or amateur system into something that was capable of running a business. So um, I was involved at the time with uh, a Canadian user group uh, chat room, and we were discussing what are the what are the things that Linux and open source is missing in order to make that leap. I mean, obviously, we have very coders. We, you know, not only Linux, but of course, up to then, you had BSD, you had all the GNU tools, you had uh, massively high-quality software coming out, but there were many gaps. Uh, some of the gaps were in places like documentation and promotion and things like that. But uh, the part that we wanted to focus on was addressing the situation where a company would say, okay, I'm interested in this open source stuff. Where can I find people to install it, to configure, maintain it, and and to uh, and to keep it working nice and, and and smoothly for us? And we came up with the notion that we had to have a way to give the uh, the corporate world confidence that when people uh, were qualified to work with open source tools, that there was a way that. Um, IT department that didn't know anything about Linux could find people that were qualified in it. And uh, that involved uh, high-quality education programs, and we all came to the conclusion that it required some kind of a certification program. And so at the time, the big players in certification were uh, Microsoft and Novell and a couple of other players. Uh, Red Hat was just starting with the RHCE program, uh, but we... uh, at least the, our own community said that we needed to do something different from the convention certifications that were out there. That if we're going to go open source, then the certification that was going to work also needed to reflect a little bit of that spirit, which means if we were going to do a, a certification properly, it had to be something that was a distribution neutral. It had to be something that didn't require you bought a certain specific um, manuals or documentation in order to pass certification. And so um, uh, we had this discussion group that was going on saying, this is what we need. And uh, uh, John Mad Dog Hall, who is, you hope, well known to many people in the community, um, 
connected us with another uh, mailing list that was started by Dan York, uh, another person. He was a professional IT instructor just getting into open source. And so we had Dan, who was a, an instructor getting into open source, and then we had myself, who was an open source enthusiast and advocate that was getting into the field of education. Uh, we were brought together, and uh, we effectively, uh, together with a small group of people, helped to create LPI. Uh, we designed a certification program that, from the very beginning, was designed to be distribution neutral, training method neutral, uh, in the way that uh, if you knew your if you knew your stuff, uh, you could pass the tests, and you didn't have to take anything, you know, any official materials or anything like that. If somebody had their own system, uh, taught themselves, and came in, all we cared about was that they knew what they were doing. And so uh, we we came we we came together at a meeting. Uh, we uh, made a pitch to a company called Caldera, which was one of the very first. Uh, commercial Linux distributions back in the late 90s. And uh, they uh, they came in to sponsor us. Uh, they introduced us to a number of other groups. At that point, we ended up getting sponsorship from companies like SUSE uh, and IBM and others. And at that point, we had a, a certain amount of seed money that allowed us to go ahead and start uh, paying for the right people, paying for the right quality control, and so on. And so uh, that was the start. And, um, you know, hopefully we've, we've made some good decisions. And, uh, uh, you know, here we are now. And, uh, uh, you know, in the 20 years that has passed, LPI has grown to be uh, the largest open source certification worldwide. Uh, there are people that have LPI certificates in more than 185 countries. And, uh, uh I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of what the organization has achieved. So uh, that's essentially the, the, the quick history of it. I mean, if there's more details that you'd like, please, uh, what would you like to know? Yeah, that sounds great. How do you compare with your distribution-specific ones? I mean, obviously, Red Hat has their certifications and, and things like that. How do you people come into you versus go in for something specific? Well, we're trying to focus on 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 what is common about Linux distributions. Uh, the only thing that we came out at the very beginning that was going to be significantly different was things like package management. So at the be at the very beginning of LPI, we actually had separate tests. Uh, if you were in the uh, RPM Red Hat world, or if you were in the Debian uh, Dpackage world, and so once upon a time we actually had two separate exams, and you could choose to take either. Uh, we ended up merging them together, and so the current LPI program uh, tests for both of them. But we wanted to f concentrate on what was common between Linux distributions. And so we don't teach things about uh, graphic interfaces because that's something you could you could be tested on one thing and then walk into an employer and they're using something totally different. We wanted to have a program such that if somebody was skilled in the in the things that we were testing, that they could walk into any Linux shop and start being able to work right away because they'd know the things that were common to every distribution. And uh, you know, obviously, there's a number of of uh, components that are added to some distributions that make them very distribution specific. And, you know, they may be good sh shortcuts and they may be good tools in that respect. 
but uh, we came philosophically to the conclusion that it was important to be able to prepare somebody uh, to be able to uh, walk into anything from a Raspberry Pi to a supercomputer and know the common components and be able to work at them right away. So this isn't just a matter of being distribution neutral. It's a matter of uh, even large to small being able to uh, being able to do basic work on uh, on on a Linux system. Now uh, we have evolved to a program that has three levels, so that by the time somebody gets to our third level, uh, they get to specialize in things like um, in in high level security or in high level uh, you know connectivity and uh, with other systems. Uh, but again, these are things that somebody will find on uh, on any enterprise level system, uh, regardless of where they go. So if they walk into a place and it's a SUSE shop, they will not be surprised. If they walk into a place and it's an Oracle Linux shop, they won't be surprised. And so that's the intention: is that you know, if if yeah. if uh, if if you only learn how to use a hammer, then every problem is a nail. So we try and and have something so that people are prepared for the widest realm of of of, of Linux systems. But then again, we don't just do Linux. We're not even uh, we're not even uh, OS de- dependent because we also have a BSD program as well. Okay, brilliant. No, that's, that makes perfect sense, right? If you're learning uh, the basics of Linux for for all these things, that then it makes it applicable in many places. And how do you, how do you market? Or do you do marketing? I guess <laughs> do people just come to you and know about you? Uh, well, uh, you know Bjorn, uh, uh, based in Germany, who is our head of marketing. I mean, we have done an awful lot of work out of social media. We tend to uh, we tend to depend on our community and our partners to help promote us. Uh, we do a lot of work on social media. Uh, we also produce a, a lot of webinars. Uh, you know, we tend to to shy away from uh, conventional media advertising and things like that. Uh, we like to think we have a good enough product in that the word of mouth has actually helped sell us. That uh, when we have employers that are saying uh, we would like you to uh, to have an LPI certification that will make it easier for you to get a job, uh, or we have certain countries that have uh, actually started to say um, you know you'll be able to command a higher salary by having a, an open source certification, and in some countries LPI is the easiest one to get. So uh, you know those are the kind of things that help promote what we're doing. Uh, we're starting to make some subtle changes as we go along uh, to become more than just a testing and certification body, but I can get into that later. Um, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the best promotion from us is, is, is people who come out of our program and get a good job, and they tell other people. Uh, we've had very good community support from the very beginning. Yeah, again, makes sense, right? And and you get uh, sort of those kind of demands or questions from the actual employers that um, or feedback and saying, uh, you know, look, we've hired these LPI guys and it's been great and they know what they're doing <laughs> compared to, uh, you know what I mean? Is is that something that you um, deal with as well on your side, or is it purely on the? It, it, it's 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 embedded into things from the very beginning. So when we decide that we're going to do uh, a certification program or, or that we're going to update a certification program, uh, we have a very specific quality process in creating that that involves 
going to the end users, going to the people that are actually going to be in these jobs and saying, what if you want to be a junior level or intermediate level or what have you, uh, a Linux system administrator, what do you think are the tools you're going to need to do the job? And so we go through a, a substantial survey process uh, where we analyze the job you know, we targeted a specific job or position. Uh, we determine what kind of skills somebody's going to need to fulfill that job. And then we create the certification uh, objectives uh, against that. Uh, and then we create the test. And we also talk to course developers and, and book publishers and saying, these are the objectives that we are going to uh, require uh, students to know if they want to pass this level or this exam. And then they support us with courses and books and we come out with the program that way. So it's it's massively important for us to be responsive to the people that are doing the hiring and to the people that are seeking these jobs. So we don't do an exam for our certification program without going through this extensive uh, uh, survey and development process. Uh, this is very interesting. Just off curiosity, being a person that uh, took all of the three levels of the certification process uh, way back, I was just wondering, you do require recertification, I think, every two or three years, maybe or something like this. There are other approaches where a body requires continuous professional education, like, for example, ISC2, with regards to CISSP and the rest of the accreditations that they offer. Just wondering, have you ever thought about switching from a recertification to CPEs? Actually, we haven't just thought about it. We have actually done it. <laughs> so let me give okay. you a little bit of detail on that. Uh, when we first came out, we saw that uh, a lot of the commercial certifications like Microsoft and Cisco uh, you know, they did exam expiry, you know, after a certain number of years. So if you didn't recertify, uh, your exam expired, and it's as if you never got tested on anything. Uh, we rebelled against that approach, and we realized that if somebody was going to use a, a command like FSCK or LS or whatever, those things did not expire after five years. And so somebody's skills uh, outlasted that. Now, we originally, and, and again, going back 20 years, our original policy was that the uh, exams did not ever uh, expire, or certification did not ever expire. Uh, but then when we got involved with, with professional certification bodies, uh, they said that was unacceptable, that uh, it was important for people to keep uh, their skills or at least their professional development uh, evolving, that they couldn't just stay, you know, static at, at, you know, something they did 20 years ago. We took the approach that, you know, just like a university degree doesn't expire, neither does a certification. But we also found that uh, when we got involved with other credentialing bodies and we wanted to see what other people were doing, um, there was a lot of objection to us having a policy of, of not doing uh, any kind of uh, requirements to people to keep their certifications fresh. So the approach we took at the beginning is that we don't, we still do not expire certifications. Somebody who took the very first LPI test will still have it in our database. If they haven't taken, if they haven't taken anything new in a number of years, uh, we would mark an, we would mark a certification as either active or inactive. In other words, inactive means they haven't done anything new in a number of years, but somebody still has on the record that if they took an LPI exam 
15 years ago. That's still in our database, and we will still tell that to people. We'll make a note that it hasn't been updated, but that skill that was tested then never goes away. Now, going back to your uh, question about the professional professional development, uh, we explicitly uh, made a change to LPI, a massive change that happened on our 20th anniversary last year, was to change the organization into a membership body. And so until then, we've been operating as a foundation. But as of last year, we started accepting members. And the purpose of the members was for multiple reasons. And one of them is for exactly what you're talking about. So much like a conventional professional society, uh, if somebody wants to keep their certification active, they don't just need to take a, they don't need to retake exams every so many years. If they engage in professional development, and that takes many, many forms, uh, they keep their certification status active. Uh, you know, we have a concept of uh, PDUs, professional development units. So attending training will qualify for PDUs. Uh, service in the open source community will qualify for PDUs. We have a whole catalog of various activities that would count towards somebody's maintaining their certification status without having to retake exams. Because, again, uh, there's an awful lot about Linux that has not changed in 20 years. Some has, some hasn't. We're on our fifth revision of our exams right now. And so, you know, we recognize that there's there are some differences that come, you know, the whole system D thing and all that. So, you know, we recognize there's changes and we're, we're frequently updating the exams. But uh, we, if, if somebody wants to keep their status active, we encourage them to become a member of LPI and engage in professional development activities uh, such, you know, that will, that will support their ongoing personal development. And that doesn't just require taking new exams. We're not in this for a money grab just to keep selling the same exam to people over and over. So we're committed as an organization to the professional development of the open source community. And so we've engaged in this. Uh, we've also, uh, along the lines of, of enhanced professional and personal development, so we also came up with a code of conduct. Uh, and so that code of conduct addresses uh, how do you engage with people in an open source community? How do you engage with customers and 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 uh and others in a professional environment, and how do you engage in, in conflicts of interest? Uh, we have a, a code of conduct that addresses all of these things. Actually, uniquely, we went out and, and looked for other implementations and didn't find anything that was quite like quite like that. But uh, it's, it's something that LPI is uh, engaged in in the sense that, uh, okay, somebody has achieved their technical expertise, uh, but being uh, being an open source professional means more than just knowing you know your way around an open source system. You also have to deal with others, with clients, with colleagues, with other people in open source mailing lists, and so uh, professional conduct uh, is is in these cases sometimes as important as the technical skills. And so uh, we've engaged in this membership. Uh, the membership then can be maintain somebody's uh, certification status through professional development and not just through exam take, taking. I hope that answers your question. So we ha- we've given it an awful lot of thought. It's been years in development, 
and that actually is out now. We have we have members, we have people that are maintaining their certification, not just by retaking exams, but by engaging in professional development activities. Yeah, that makes makes sense. Um, what is going on? Are you? Um, I mean, uh, it, it's just a thought, really. Um, are you engaging much with the actual open source projects as well as part of this uh, building the certifications, or is that something you do uh, in isolation? I would guess. Uh, <laughs> we we have we have people in our communities that are engaged in an awful lot of the of the projects themselves. Uh, you know. Do we, we don't get deeply involved in the in the software development projects themselves because we are not an organization of software developers. Uh, it's 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 sort of not where we came from. I mean, when we started LPI, um, I can code, but my work is awful that way. So I never went in that direction. Uh, you know, my strength has been in communications and educations and. You know, open, the open source community needs people with all sorts of backgrounds, not just coders, but also documenters and marketers and so on. And so there's, there's lots of place for people. Uh, to answer your question, uh, you know, we have informal relationships with a lot of projects, but we don't, you know, we don't go formally in saying, you know, we want them to endorse us or we endorse them. Obviously, there's a lot of open source products that are covered by LPI exams. Uh, do we have their endorsement? Not necessarily, but uh, I, it's not. I, usually, it's not the task of a software project uh, to uh, to get involved in in the education programs for that software project. Some might do it as as a revenue source, but most do not. Okay. Yeah. No. That that makes sense. I mean, it's it's just that. Um... I mean, if you, if you take various uh, open source projects, some of them will have commercial company variants. So, I mean, a lot of them do these days, right? But, uh, and those may offer their own certifications. You know, I'm thinking about. Um, oh, uh, and 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 the world is the world is big enough for all of this. You know, there we know that there's there's systems like Kodi uh, Linux that have their own that have their own certification program because they're focusing on the security component. Uh, I don't consider them competition. This is the community is big enough for a number of different approaches. Uh, you know, we serve one purpose, but we're not necessarily everything to everybody. So uh, we know there's other approaches out there, and we're also aware that some open source projects need sources of revenue, and they may go this path. But generally speaking, the, the, you know, we cover a specific area, and that is for uh, people who want to get a job uh, and 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 claim they know, you know, a certain level of their way around a Linux system. And that takes the place right from the very beginning where we have a program called uh, Linux Essentials, which is not really a certification course. It's really just somebody knows the fundamentals of Linux, which is not usually used for a system in so much as somebody's getting into IoT or somebody's getting into 3D printing or somebody's getting into VR or some other thing that requires they know a lot, a little bit about Linux, but it's not their main focus. And so we try and accommodate that as well as, you know, the intermediate to senior sysadmin. But, you know, it's, it, it's a big world out there and we're not ever going to cover everything. So no, there's, lots, there's lots of room for, for a good community. Uh, we don't see any of the others as competition. And I hope um, they don't see us as competition. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very interesting aspect, Evan, because 
the the Linux essential thing, in contrast to the original certifications, is quite new. I mean, we're looking at what five to six years maximum, right? I'm just wondering. I fully see the requirement for this. I'm just wondering if that's something that the industry came to you for, or whether that was kind of driven by we're going to take a look at the market and that's exactly the thing that's missing or was it, or was it kind of meeting halfway, if you know what in, I mean? In that case, I think it was as much a matter of uh, community demand as opposed to industry because sometimes the industry doesn't necessarily know what it wants in this field. In the world of Linux sysadmins, um, you know, things are pretty straightforward. But in the area where people need to know a little bit of Linux on their way to a career in something else, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, if somebody's going into embedded or they're going into uh, into into some kind of AI or other field that requires some Linux, uh, the the need of having this very entry level thing was not quite so apparent. So we actually depended on our community to come to us and say that they wanted something like this. And in fact, uh, one of our newest uh, one of our newest projects that we're working on is for a level even below uh, Linux Essentials. So we have in development a program that is going to assume absolutely zero knowledge about IT on behalf of the learner and help people make a decision for themselves whether or not a career in IT is right for them. And so this isn't even Linux or open source specific. This is something that is 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 meant to engage the general population and help people make an informed decision on whether or not they want to take or change to uh, a career in 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 IT and uh in some cases we even want to be able to deliver this through public libraries for free so you know we're going in both directions in some ways we're we're creating program programs that are m- more advanced and in some cases we want to create programs that are going to help people at the, uh, you know, who come in with absolutely no pre-knowledge of things. Uh, this is what our community has told us is in demand. And so, yes, obviously, we're listening to industry. We're listening to our teaching partners, and we're listening to the community at large. And all, all of those uh, play a factor in what we do. Yeah, yeah no, it's, interesting. it's from uh, from. Your perspective, if you, what you explained is, is that the people that want to get started in, as you say, with Raspberry Pis or with, uh, VR and, and, um, uh, they don't have any Linux skills. That's something that you, um, can help them with as well by the sound of it. Exactly. Because in many cases, uh, if they're doing that kind of work, uh, they're going to be generally doing it on a Linux host, so they need to know enough to, to know their way around an open source system, uh, but they don't need to know enough to be able to admit. Uh, and that's what those courses are developed for. And how do you see that going forwards? I mean, there's a, obviously a lot of uh, uptake of open source software everywhere and uh, more and more applications in, in devices and um, and so on, so, uh, and, and different pieces of technology and in AI and all sorts of, uh, you know, open source is growing everywhere, right? So uh, as an organization, are you trying to follow that and, and go with the... Well, yes, but this is also recognition that when we're working with operating systems and that kind of component, that this is a matter of, you know, uh, software infrastructure as much as anything. You know, uh, a Linux system for its own sake 
you know, only goes so far. It's used to do other things. Uh, it's used to, to run websites. It's used to run IoT. It's used to do, uh, you know, Raspberry Pi experiments. It's used to do all sorts of things. So in many cases, you know, Linux is a means to an end rather than an end to itself. And so the, these are the fields where we're finding some of the, the, the most interest going forward into other things. Uh, another area where people have identified a need is in the non-technical components. Uh, so the idea of doing a program on what are the legalities of open source, that somebody has an idea of, you know, what are the differences of between licenses, uh, what constitutes open source and what doesn't. Uh, at a at a point of view from a managerial staff rather than technical staff, uh, we're finding that there's a very big gap in in understanding that way, uh, that what people think is open source might not be what it really is. So um, you know we we run into that, and so one of the things that we're under consideration is a program that would help educate and certify people on their knowledge of uh, the business and legalities of open source. It has nothing to do with the technical component, but we're finding is still in demand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the, <laughs> the different kinds of licensing that you come across is something that is a yeah definitely a bit of a minefield for. Uh, organizations to understand uh, it's so, so that's i guess that's what you're referring to when you mention the legal implications and things like that yes and and well even things like you know are you allowed to profit from from open source software um mm. you know i mean you and we you and i will know that the answer to that is definitely yes but uh you know to the general public out there they may not you know when they think of of a gpl you know system they may think of something that you know uh, prohibits you know, prohibit certain activities, and they may think it prohibits profit-making activity when, in fact, it doesn't. That's the kind of subtlety uh, that we want to try and address and, and make sure that uh, IT managers and policymakers understand these distinctions. Um, you know, uh, you know, even in the case where uh, somebody wants to uh, say, well, I want to make open-source software, but uh, the military can't use it. And uh, the problem, well, I mean, that actually is something that we're starting to see, is that people are wanting to say, I want a right to dictate how my, how my project is used. And uh, it's a very legitimate desire, but it's not open source. It goes against, you know, freedom zero of the, of the, F, of, of the FSF and also the other, the, you know, the open source definitions is that you're not allowed to restrict how code is used. You can, you can, you can dictate, you know, whether or not you want to require sharing of it and so on. Uh, but things like how software is being used right now, uh, you have a number of uh, proposals for licenses out there that go into this, that give the author discretion you know, uh, the sort of French droit d'auteur kind of, of thing when you have uh, the author gets to say uh, how their work is used. And while that's, uh, you know, I totally understand the reasons why somebody would want to say, I don't want my open source code being used by, by war equipment at the same time, uh, that can't be open source according to current definitions. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, uh, that's one I hadn't actually, uh, come across myself before, but I mean, the, the most common, uh, complaint or, or restriction that open source, particularly the, the, uh, the companies that are trying to make a, uh, a business model out of it, um, is obviously with the cloud vendors, right? Where, um, 
that that's what they want to try and restrict the usage there because of that conflicts with their business model and it doesn't necessarily contribute to the project themselves because those uh, we've seen the examples obviously where um there isn't much being uh, returned to the project and things like that um right. yeah, yeah, yeah so no it's it's um uh yeah, that's that, that's. I mean, apart from as you say, the technical piece that you're obviously enabling um, in a general level, which yeah makes it widely applicable. There is a lot more around it um, in in those uh, around open source than just that, right? And um, do, do you? I mean, how do you see the? We see. I mean, we're seeing a, a number of companies that are starting to offer open source services as a pure business model in in a general way, right? So, you know, right. uh, you need a Postgres expert, you need a, a, a Linux sysadmin. But, but we, we can, you know, we can source those uh, as a company. We we do that as a business model, right? Um, do, do you work much with those kind of companies, or do you see that that increasing from from what you are seeing in in the LPI? To me, this is just a natural outgrowth of what's been happening already. As the as the community matures, as people are 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 constantly trying to see, you know, what business models exist. Where, you know, how can you make a profit? Uh, you know, can it be after service? Can it be in training and documentation? Or can it be in any of uh, these other forms? Uh, these, to me, are just sort of natural outgrowths. Of, of how things are going as as the community is maturing and becoming part of the IT mainstream is that, you know, there might be a realization that, you know, the code could be obtained for free, uh, but the use, the you know, the time of the people that are involved in training or configuring or, uh, or otherwise customizing software, uh, that's not necessarily free. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, it's still open source is still a, a benefit to the organizations that use it, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to get away with uh, totally without cost being able to deploy. And so there's lots of opportunities for companies that are doing that. And a number of these companies are saying, uh, especially in, 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 in a number of new countries where open source is just in its still in its infancy, uh, you know, the certification of people helps because they're looking for work. They're looking to try and uh, convince their clients that they know what they're doing. Uh, and having the professional certification is one step towards helping them out that way. Yeah. yeah no, I understand. It, it, uh, for me, it was more, um, the, the, you know, the, the uptake or the uh, adoption of open source that we see around Europe and, and in the U.S. is 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 large, right? It's, it's well, Europe is Europe has always been ahead of the game. You know, infamous, infam, infamously, there was you know the city of Munich deciding to um, change to open source and then change back and then change back again. But uh, I mean, you have a lot of countries in Europe that have been uh, in, in you know leaders to the world in terms of implementation and 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 seeing the value. Of, of openness and sharing in, in the development, at least of infrastructure software. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, there's, there's still an awful lot of opportunity for growth. There's still a lot of places in the world where uh, people have been scared to use something, uh, besides the usual, uh, incumbent vendors. 
And so uh, we're still seeing that there's a lot of places in the world where some of this advocacy uh, that, you know, you take for granted in Germany, I take for granted in Canada, but there's still a lot of places in the world where this advocacy uh, still needs to be done, where there's still momentum that needs to be built up and there's still resistance. So that battle, that that advocacy battle is still far from over in some parts of the world. Of course, of course. And now that's just a completely slightly different <laughs> different tangent is um, the the people that you get in general of doing the LPR certifications are they um, the younger generation, the, the 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 people that are starting out in in IT, or do is it a mixture? Um, I mean, the reason I'm asking is that typically, if if you've been in, in IT for a long time, you'll have some kind of specialism, whether it's uh, I don't know um, uh, Cisco or uh, Oracle or whatever it is, right? Or right. even Windows. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, those people trying to their their job is based on that, and so um the typical argument is you know we don't want anything to do with open source software because we build our careers on xyz right um right. so you know, what you're seeing in terms of of people that are, are, are do you see more and more of the that older generation of it uh people joining the lpi as well or, or um is it mainly still the the, the younger generation well my answer uh, a year or two ago might have been very different about this uh-huh. Uh, because uh, because of circumstances such as COVID and because of circumstances such as uh, massively increased automation of work, uh, we're finding that a lot of people that have been made redundant in other fields may be looking to IT as, as somewhat of a more future-proof career path. So there may be people, you know, we still have lots of young people that are going straight through uh, through academia into into IT and into open source. We're also finding that there's a lot of people that are trying to reinvent their careers uh, mm-hmm. and, and trying to look for something that, uh, you know, they may have been made redundant. They may have, uh, you know, they may have been automated out of a job. Uh, and they're looking for something that won't give them the same mistake in the future. And uh, to, to be very crude about it, you know, you want to be the one building the robots rather than the one being replaced by the robots. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so we're finding uh, we, we have not done a lot of demographic research. Uh, it's something that we are going to be engaging more of. Uh, but we are finding, at least anecdotally from our partners and elsewhere, that uh, a lot of the people that are coming in is, is, is a broader age range than you might think. And some of that is, is simply because people are also looking for a change in careers as well as their first career. And uh, coming into IT and open source as a change of careers is starting to look attractive. It's one of the reasons why we want to do that, uh, that, uh, introductory program that assumes no knowledge. So if somebody is looking for a new career or a career change or so on, that uh, we want to help people make an informed decision on whether or not this is a good path. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, that's a brilliant idea because, uh, as you say, if, you, if you're a person who is uh, not familiar with that whole world and trying to make a change, then as an organization, you're probably better placed to um, give them 
that that information, but also there's so much information out there. So it's like, where would someone like that start, right? So if an organization like yourself could guide them along uh, that path quite nicely. Right. Um, and also, if you think about it, being able to deliver these courses in places like public libraries, uh, you can't get more publicly facing than that. Uh, the idea to make the this kind of program as accessible as possible uh, because we're a nonprofit because we're trying to serve the community uh, you know we're we're trying to come up with programs that uh, libraries and other organizations would be able to deliver free of charge uh, there's yeah. even there's even a, a novel concept uh, uh, called learning circles which is effectively teaching without teachers uh, which is a concept that we uh, have been partnering with an organization in the U.S. called Peer-to-Peer University uh, yeah. that would enable uh, a library or other uh, community center or something like that to be able to deliver this kind of uh, initial IT course without even having anyone on staff that would have the expertise to teach, and yet they could still run a course like this, and it would succeed. We're yeah, ready we're running pilots in both Nairobi and Toronto with the local library systems uh, to do this kind of thing, and they're showing a lot of success. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it's that again that makes sense. It's it's something you know, as as a uh, a working person or or even someone who's who's trying to change a career, um, doing learning, uh, shared learning, <laughs> is obviously far more effective than doing it entirely on your own. Right. So if if you're uh, enabling that as well with certain programs that certainly will help. Um, I have to ap- apologize for Christoph because his uh, connection to BBB somehow died. <laughs> so he's, he's not been here for the last um, uh, 20 minutes, uh, just as a aside. So that's why he hasn't been able to ask any questions. Um, but uh, the one thing that I think we very much would like to know is also what is... Um, how do you see the, the future of LPI coming up um, in the short and, and, and the longer term? You've, you've alluded to it to some degree, but um, I mean, for yourself as well, right? You've been with the organization uh, quite a long time and, and you know, part of the co-founders. How do you uh, see that for yourself going forwards as well? Well, I, I've been very gratified to have played a part in this transition of LPI from being merely an organization that delivers certifications to one that is actively involved in uh, the advocacy of, shall we say, for the open source individual. Um, There's many groups out there that are able to uh, advocate on behalf of and support, um, you know, commercial organizations that are working with open source. Um, You know, you uh, um, you have the Linux Foundation that's doing phenomenal work in working with uh, organ- with you know corporations and other large organizations in uh, bringing open source into the mainstream, but uh, we found that there is a bit of a gap there in that uh, who's advocating for the role of the individual in open source? Um, you know, open source was created by you know in individual initiative. You know, you have you know people that are well known in the community. Uh, that 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 took it upon themselves to start projects and and build a community around them. So we find that there's still a need, in fact, a growing need, uh, to be able to support and advocate on behalf of the people working with open source, as opposed to just the projects themselves. So uh, we're trying to develop LPI as 
uh, as a, a, a body that advocates on behalf of and supports the development of the people working with open source. Uh, not, you know, not necessarily the corporations, not necessarily other entities like that. They're already well served within this community. Uh, but we're finding that, uh, you know, there's not a lot of places where somebody can be a member of an organization that is going to advocate on their behalf and try and enhance their own professional careers and their own professional development. So the, uh, you know, in my, in my own view, uh, I would love to see LPI, uh, you know, do for open source professionals what a bar association would do for lawyers or what an engineering society does for engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the first step along that path is going to a membership model where it's the professionals themselves that dictate the direction of the profession. And so we're having our first AGM this year where the members of LPI are voting on the board of directors. After 20 years of operating as a foundation, uh, we're having our first member elections uh, in 2021. I'm, I'm very uh, I'm very happy to see how this is working out. I'm very pleased to have played a role in this transition. Uh, I've been involved with helping rewrite the bylaws and, uh, and working together with other staff and building up the membership and working towards an election process where we literally have uh, the professionals in our community uh, helping to vote for the board of LPI, and in that sense, uh, help determine the direction of uh, the professional group. So much mm-hmm. as in a medical association, the doctors vote in the association that manages professional development and ethics and so on. Uh, we're hoping to do that same kind of thing in the world of open source. Uh, and that means being far more than just a body that issues certifications. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds brilliant. It's um, <laughs> certainly the spirit of open source. It's just a sort of side note. When is your AGM? Uh, the AGM is going to happen. I believe it's in May. I don't know. I don't recall the exact date. Um, okay. no. We have great details on the website right now because uh, as I speak to you right now in uh, in mid January, we're actively looking for people who want to run for the board. Right, right. Okay. So, and and are you doing that amongst your members, I guess, or? Uh, well, of course, we're looking for members, but one of the prerequisites of membership is being LPI certified. Uh, as yeah. I mentioned before, the intention is that uh, is that the professional community helps steer the profession. And so a prerequisite of being a member of LPI is uh, is is having taken it. So if, as you say, you took all three levels some time ago, uh, you should have a look because there is a way that even if you haven't, done an exam in an awful long time, uh, there's still a path to membership without having to retake exams. Okay, okay. Oh, brilliant. <clears throat> All right, so um, I think that's been great. It's, uh, yeah, it's certainly, um, I, I think the work that you're doing at LPI and, and you know, as you say, it's far more than certification and, and going into the future and making that of a, a member controlled, well, not controlled, but where the members decide the direction that's, that's again, um, uh, you know, those are all in, in, in the spirit of open source as well, to be, uh, frank. And, um, uh, so I re- really appreciate, uh, your, time tonight uh likewise from crystal <laughs> who unfortunately has uh, technical issues um so uh 
thank you very much and hopefully that's given us a good view of of lpi unless i've missed something that you may want to cover um i think i've said you know i think i i hope i've answered most of your questions no, I mean, for me it was it was a great uh, insight in, into you know where you've come from and how you're growing but also you know that you're far more than the certification organization right which is is great to hear Sure. And, and, you know, if you'd like me back in terms of any kind of other discussion about sort of, uh, you know, the, the people of open source as opposed to the code or, as po- uh, you know, the companies or whatever, um, you know, feel free to call anytime. Yeah. I mean, so I think we touched upon this earlier. It, it, you're not so much looking for um, involvement of the uh, the community, the projects as such yourself at LPI, but it's more the members determine the or, or build the uh, the future of it and and uh, determine what what offerings you you have, right? Or uh, that, that's, that's yeah. Also, also there's I mean there's a big diversity of people involved with open source. If somebody yeah. is enthusiastic and they're a very good coder. There's lots of places for them to go right now where they can make a contribution to the community moving forward. If somebody is, uh, you know, an educator, they can do that. If they're a marketer there's or a documenter, there's lots of opportunities there. Uh, we want to give a place for the people that are working with open source that are not necessarily coders, but are trying to make this work for their companies, for themselves, for their own careers. And uh, we think we're filling an important gap here. And so far, I think we've done a good job of it. No, no, agreed, agreed. It's it's something that yeah, it's it's you know rather than just knowing <laughs> how the in and outs of Linux works, there's a, a whole lot more to it these days. And and again, if if you as an organization picking that up, that's great to um, as a focal point for for people that. Um, need to you know, uh, learn those skills or find that information as well, right? So it's, uh, yeah, I think that's great to combine that with the pure, it's not just the pure technical knowledge, which, as you say, you could get from various other um, locations or, or even, um, you know, your red hats and, and certification programs, stuff like that. Well, it's it's not just that. There's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of new online training opportunities that didn't exist 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, yes. you know, Udemy and, and a lot of other online systems as well. Um, so we're aware of that. I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, having a diversity of ways that people learn about open source, they learn how to do the learn how to do the stuff. Uh, to me, that's good. That that you know, having different people learn different ways. Some people are comfortable with learning online. Uh, some people need a book, and some people need to just go into the room with a Raspberry Pi and teach themselves. <laughs> Uh, we're happy right. with all those approaches, uh, as long as you know when they come out, they know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, well, and this is where you come in. So that's uh, yeah, brilliant. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with you again um, in in a bit's time and see how things pan out. That's kind of part of what we do is um, building up, uh, you know, uh, various uh, conversations with people in various part of the uh, open source community whether it's 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 um, people that look after projects or people like yourself that looks after an organization and then we'll uh you know review these these kind of scenarios how how, how does this move over time and um where are you you know in, in a year or t- two years time we'll <laughs> do another recording and uh, we'll look back and say hey <laughs> this is where you ended up right it's uh, that's one of the nice things about it yeah, yeah.
great. Thanks for having me. No, brilliant. Great to meet you, and thanks again for your time. Martin, that was a very interesting interview, never mind the technical challenges that we apparently experienced, at least I did anyway. So what do you make of it all? Yeah, it was, uh, no, I agree. Um, great guy, uh, interesting project, well, project, um, interesting what they've done with it. Uh, surprisingly few questions from yourself, by the way, but that's <laughs> probably a first. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, going back to uh, the episode. Um, Martin, for yeah. a change, you, you can like, do all like, the talking too. <laughs> I like it. doesn't have to yeah. be me all the time. It no, it's an interesting fact. Uh, yeah, ne never mind, never mind the, the, the membership thing there that um, hmm. apparently they rolled on. I, I wasn't aware of this actually when I was doing the whole shebang you're looking at about almost 10 years back when I started. Mm -hmm. There wasn't such a thing. And. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing we you didn't discuss was actually the fact that community members are uh, are getting involved or can get involved. Let's put it this way. For example, with uh, the review of upcoming courses or modifications to the content. So as oh, a matter I don't of think fact, about it. Yeah, hmm, yeah. So as a matter of fact, yes, you can get involved. And I, right, and okay. if if if, mm -hmm. if people if, if people yes if yeah. people are listening. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If, <laughs> listeners, if. <laughs> listeners, yes, exactly. Listeners, if you want to get involved, lpi.org. You'll find this, of course, as part of the show notes. Yes. lpi.org is the, is the place to visit, especially if you are, or if you do want to participate on the cutting edge of Linux certification, because that's the place to be, essentially. Okay. Hmm. Yes, and you promised to have him back, right? That's what I, that's what I, I did, noticed. Indeed. Well spotted. Uh, yeah, I think that's something that we've done with other guests as well, right? It's uh, quite nice to see where where these how these projects evolve. Well, in this case, not a project, but <laughs> um, because it's their first AGM where they're trying to set the direction, better members, and all that kind of stuff. So it'd be mm -hmm. good to see how that pans out. Excellent, and that leaves us mm -hmm. actually with feedback, and then the pox, and we're all, and then we're almost done, right? Okay. Yes, and we do have feedback. Um, we do. Luna yeah. Jernberg has written quite a few mails. Busy man. Yes, Woman. indeed. Sorry. And he says, let me start with the first mail. Hello, listening to the in to the Linux in-laws. Yes, that, that's us. New Year's episode in the morning. Oh, this morning. Happy New Year. Luna, thank you very much. And he's also looking, looking forward to season number two. Interesting because we haven't quite decided mm. yet on the numbering scheme, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Season you one want... is a very long one. <laughs> it may never end, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> if you have thoughts on this, the email address is feedback at linuxinlaws.eu. You want to read the second mail or should I do this? No, you got it in front of you. So. Okay, Luna Jernberg writes again. Um, that was actually on the 1st of January. Apparently, he doesn't take time off. Yes, I did listen to them both yesterday. Uh, and of course, I asked him basically if mm. what what he makes of it. And uh, yeah, the feedback goes on basically uh, describing what he's looking for. And he also says that he doesn't do podcasts, uh, but he has so been on Linux Unplugged there, some episodes. What was that you said? You broke up there briefly. No, sorry. Uh, he says he that he do... didn't do podcasts. He didn't do podcasts. No. What does that that's mean? What he said in my... 
Well, um, that he only listens to them, I suppose. Right. Uh, okay. But he has, but he has been on Linux Unplugged for some episodes, apparently, according to his mail. Okay. Well, show notes in the link. Link in show notes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if I can find this, yes. But apparently, well, we can he's a, get Luna to to send them to us. Uh, he's he's somewhat involved, actually, in the Debian project. If I'm not completely mistaken. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. And that leaves us, of course, with the um, with the boxes and antipoxes. Okay. Antipoxes. I have yeah, quite a few boxes, but... Oh, right. Sorry, I thought ahead. you had to out a few antipoxes this week. <laughs> well, just one, actually. Um, <laughs> Only one. Well, two, maybe. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's yeah. start with the technical one. Uh, as we all know, Java is a broken language. And yes, David Mara, if you're listening of uh, grumpy old coders fame, um, Java is still broken. You'll find the link in the show notes. This is something I came across when I was trying to install Jitsi. It's uh, a new conference system that we intend to use from now on instead of BBB for a number of reasons, which I won't go into now. Uh, but uh, the uh, long and short of it is actually that for a number of reasons, Jitsi uses a recording component called Jibri. And for some reason... And the details are actually in the show notes. Uh, Jibri doesn't run on JDK version 11, but rather on JDK version 8. Given the fact that this Jitsi instance is running on a Debian Buster instance, most of you who are familiar with Debian, of course, know that JDK 8 or OpenJDK 8 version, sorry, OpenJDK version 8 is not supported on Buster, but only OpenJDK version 11. Meaning that essentially you end up with running two J versions of JDK on that buster ins because of the technical deficiency of the requirement from Jitsi. And of course, the second anti-pox would be Jitsi itself to some extent. Developers, if you're listening, Jitsi is great. Don't get me wrong. But setting it up essentially is a bitch. We are allowed to say this because uh, we are explicit. Memory source hmm. correct, and, and you tried it, right? Well, you have experience with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I reckon if you if you want to run it from a container, that's fair. That's that's straightforward. Or if you just basically want to leave the configuration as it is when you install it from the say operating system packages as as part of your if your as part of your package repositories. But as soon as you deviate from the standard configuration, for example, this is Jitsi instance is running behind a reverse proxy in the shape of Apache running on a different part number. And this is where the fun starts. Um documentation could be slightly better. Uh, apparently the documentation is somewhat behind the versions. That's my understanding. Um, so needless to say, people, if you have spare cycles, if you want to have, if you want to help a great project, Jitsi, Jitsi is your, is your go-to resource for spending these cycles because the project, I think, needs some support, love, and tender care. Hmm. So why did you not install it on a container? For a number of reasons, uh, that wasn't possible on this particular instance. Um, in that case, I that one of the benefits. <laughs> well, in that case, that would probably have meant even more port mapping and and all the rest of it. Uh huh. So I didn't bother. Okay, fair enough. Um, Any antipoxes right. on your side? Yeah, the antipox on my side is um, 
uh, people moving production servers two hours before recording. Not mentioning any names here, but yeah. yeah no, actually, no. I mean, if you're referring to my migration, sorry, that was actually done a day before. How is <laughs> <Not> it? <laughs> okay, well, there's something to do but with the GMS update. TTL. You may want to reconsider for the, that. For uh, the uninitiated, yeah. just Martin is just bitching and whining about some, some minor technical issue. <laughs> okay, on, on, on to the pox. Onto the pox. Quite, yes, and quite a few, actually. Uh, a movie called uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It describes the shenanigans of, funny enough, Tucker and Dale versus the evil in terms of... Good title. Yes, in terms of the shenanigans that they come across, basically when I think it's it's uh, yeah it's some sort of evil, and the next box that I have is the Book of Monsters. Uh, similar shenanigans. Uh, basically, a group of teenagers coming across a horde, uh, coming across a horde of zombies. So Martin calls it light entertainment. I would call it rather a documentary, given these. Uncertain. It's just Ed in Washington, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, Martin, onto your foxes. No, foxes. Uh, I only have one, I'm afraid, um, since time is in short supply at the moment. Um, is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, Go it's, ahead. Funny, it's a funny thing, time. Yeah. You, you think it goes at a constant pace, but then sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> it's very odd. Anyway. <laughs> Going back to um, the Pox. Uh, so the Pox is a BBC series called The Serpent, which is um, set in the 70s when there was no technology. So you could right. this around and you could change your passport, just stick a different photo in and stuff like that. So uh, just a bit of um, oops, light entertainment. The, um, uh, the links, I suppose, are in the show notes. Mm. It's good. Um, uh, yeah. I f- of course I forgot the pox. People, you if you have yes, if yeah. you have a chance, listen to something called the Grumpy Old Quarters, episode number six. No, is this a pox or an anti-pox? Oh, sorry. No, it, it uh, is actually a pox. So, okay. Thomas, David, if you're listening, this is you. This is free marketing. This is free sponsoring of uh, your show. Uh, the reason why I'm even mentioning this because this show basically says it all. It clocks in at about two hours, and yes, Martin and Thomas spill the beans on various issues from last David. year and this year. David, sorry, da- David. Yes, what David. did I say? I meant what? David and Thomas. Yes, the Grumpy Old Corners. Yes, the uh, the Eastern Germans. Yes. Yes, exactly them. Yes. Yes. And, okay. and yeah, and and they spill the beans on on various topics, including, for example, Corona apps. And how not to do them. Now, guys, if you're listening, and I'm sure that at least one of you is listening, don't stop there. I mean, in the in the interest of affirmative action, equal rights, and all the rest of it, do include Heineken as well as Carlsberg apps too, right? Just for the next episode. Food for thought, indeed. Okay. Didn't know they covered beers, but there we go. Well, they covered the Corona app, so yes, that's the start, no? Fair enough. Okay. No, I thought they might be doing a, a session on, on beers around the world. <laughs> Coders or grumpies, rather, if you're listening, here's your feedback. 
yes, we are. We, we can't wait for a um on um we can't wait for an episode on beers. So just yes. go ahead. Yes. Forget this software stuff and mm. C sharp and mm. Java and all the rest of it. Just just go for beer. That's okay. Yeah. And as usual, yes, as usual, any feedback from the grumpies or from any other people. <laughs> Oh, the please, please send a mail to feedback at linuxinlaws.eu. We are, as usual, available on Hacker Public Radio. This won't change. <laughs> Even sometimes it's a bit tricky to get the episodes out there because of scheduling issues. But that's another. But that's not, not. But that's another point. And with that, I think it's time to wrap this up. See, See you next time. See you soon. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This episode is proudly sponsored by Murphy and Finnegal and their respective laws. Mr. Murphy and Mr. Finnegal are happy to have made life hell for techies and other people for just too many years to count. And this episode is not an exception. Unfortunately, we fucked this up ourselves and managed only to screw things up in a minor fashion. We apologize for this fact and promise to do a better job next time. Mr. Murphy, Mr. Finnegal, that's the first... But fuck you and your bloody stupid laws. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice used by the dark side. You'll find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs>